Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this was actually a surprise, but that's okay. Um, today's Bible reading will be doing three. Uh, one will be Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Then we'll be doing Romans chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 26 and 27, and also verses 13 to 17 as well. We're starting from Luke chapter 11, and we're starting from verse 1. Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And we said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open. Which father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The next passage is Romans chapter 8. I think we'll be starting from verse 13. Yes. 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all of you are led by the Spirit of this God, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness, and with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. The last passage is verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dan, for that surprise reading. A uh, big warm welcome to everyone here this afternoon. Uh, my name is Stephen, one of the pastors of the church, along with Ben, uh, who is enjoying his church at home group uh, gathering today. A couple of quick announcements before we get into the passage. Firstly, um, there is no question and answer, no, no Q&A time at the end of today's service. It's going to happen next week. But because of this topic on prayer, as well as next week's topic on demons and spirituality, I'm going to be guessing that there are going to be heaps of questions. So 
feel free to throw your questions into the live stream chat for, uh, on, on the YouTube feed or message me personally during the week and uh, we'll look at those questions uh, together next week. Secondly, restrictions here in Queensland are lifting on Tuesday uh, and that means a few, potentially a few changes around here for our church at Ryan's Road gathering. So please keep an eye on the WhatsApp announcements, Facebook emails as we communicate uh, what may or may not be happening, which is, we're still trying to work out the exact details of what we can and can't do. So if you can pray for wisdom for us, that'd be really great. For now though, let me pray and ask God to bless our time as we look at this word together. Our great Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you give us this word from your Son. We give you thanks for this word because it helps us to know how to speak with you, how to come before you uh, with confidence, with assurance. So we pray, Father, that you'd help us to see that. Help us to see the wonder of this prayer that Jesus gives to us and the wonder of privilege of prayer. Father, bless our time. May your spirit be at work within us to hear your word and receive it. May your spirit be at work within me to preach from this clearly as I ought. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer can be quite a guilt-inducing subject. You can be guaranteed that if there are two subjects that a preacher can preach on that can really make the congregation feel guilty, it's the topics of prayer and offering. Now, we're not looking at offering today, but we are looking at prayer. Because we all know that we do not pray enough. We all know that we need to depend on God in prayer much more. We all have a, a bit of a vibe and a bit of a sense that every time in our fellowship groups when there's a prayer meeting, attendance drops. So maybe when you heard the Bible reading this morning from, or uh, from this afternoon from Dan, as soon as you heard those words, your, ma- your mind began to shut down. Uh, it was just popping it into cruise mode. Another sermon on prayer. Hey, what new thing can we really learn from it? What new encouragements can we receive? But what if I could guarantee for you that your prayers could be answered with a yes? What if I could guarantee you a form of prayer in which you can know with certainty that God is answering positively? Would you want to learn how to do that? Would you want to take that up? If you could pray with that sort of confidence, do you think you'd be praying more often? See, when Jesus, asked his, when Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach, them, uh, to teach them how to pray, he didn't give them a pro forma prayer. He wasn't giving them a model example that you just need to rote learn and then just kind of repeat all the days of your life. Jesus was teaching his disciples what prayer is all about and what drives our prayers. And what he gave them was a way of praying that would ensure that God would always answer with a yes. Now, before we get into the text, a couple of big picture issues uh, as we go into it. Firstly, our Bibles haven't actually done us much of a favor in terms of the subheading. Pretty much every single Bible uh, printed out there has the subheading to this section called the Lord's Prayer. But it's not really Jesus' prayer. It's much more about the disciples' prayer. Jesus is giving it to them. It's not his prayer that he is praying and therefore we happen to be copying it. But for the sake of our understanding as we go through it, I'm just, going to, I'm just going to keep referring to it as the Lord's Prayer, just to avoid any confusion. Secondly, this is a prayer and instruction for all of us. 
Throughout this passage, the you being referred to in this passage is is always in the plural. This is our prayer together. So some wise person has noticed this and come up with this little ditty, which I think is helpful before we get into the text. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for one another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it. It never once says me. This is our prayer together. So with that said, how does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? The first part, the first petition in the Lord's Prayer is who you address. Jesus teaches his disciples to address God as Father. Now this is a thoroughly unique and revolutionary way to address God. God is only referred to as Father 14 times in the Old Testament. And of those 14 times, pretty much all of those references are very generic, very general, as though, as to reference, as in referencing God as the Father of the nation. Nobody addressed God personally as my Father. You will not find that in the Old Testament. Jesus was the first person to make the fatherhood of God essential to prayer. He calls God Father some 60 times in the Gospels. And when he invites his disciples to pray to his Father, Jesus is actually inviting us to be a part of his family. Jesus, our elder brother, God, our heavenly Father. Now the word for Father here is the word Abba. It's not quite the same as Daddy. That's probably a little bit too familiar. But it's more like Dear Father. It's a term of intimacy and affection, but also reverence, intimacy and dignity, dignified at the same time. So when we pray to God, we pray to him as our father. In Christ, in the gospel, we are adopted as sons and daughters. Over my years in ministry, I've noticed that there's one little test that I can have, out of many, but one little test that I use to work out whether or not someone is genuinely converted. And it's usually listening to their prayers. See, when I listen to their prayers and I hear them address God, either when they first start addressing God, they usually pray, dear God. But then something can happen in these people and I can see that they've genuinely converted when they start addressing God as Heavenly Father. They do it with warmth and intimacy. Because to call God Father is a distinctly and uniquely Christian thing. I know some of us uh, here, though, may find this a little bit hard to do. Uh, Earthly fathers are meant to be a reflection of our heavenly father. But for some of us, we have not had good fathers. And so the idea of calling God father is a bit of a stumbling block because we had emotionally absent fathers, relationally absent fathers. Some of us had abusive fathers. And that is something to mourn and be sad about. But know this, dear brothers and sisters, your heavenly father is nothing like your failed earthly father. Jesus is inviting you to know God as he knows him, in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his wonder and beauty, and to know God personally. 
So friends, let me ask you, is God your Father? The second petition in the Lord's Prayer is for God's name to be hallowed. Now what does hallowed mean? Hallowed means to make holy. That's a bit of a weird thing to pray, isn't it? Why are we asking God to do something that he already is? We're not asking God to do something about his name because there's something lacking about it, as though his, his name is not yet quite holy enough. And so we're asking God, please make it a little bit more holy. We are asking God to show what he is like and to show it again and again. God is hallowed whenever he shows that he is holy. And when he shows how utterly distinct and unique and glorious he is, we are praying for God to display his godness. To hallow his name is for God to glorify himself. Now, Jesus glorified God not only in his living and teaching, but he glorified God in the ultimate way by his death on the cross. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 12. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. You see here in John chapter 12, Jesus is speaking about his impending death on the cross. And it's his obedience to that plan and purpose of God which glorifies him. Jesus hallowed God's name by suffering and dying for our sins. So how do we hallow God's name? And the answer is by living holy lives. We participate in glorifying God by living holy and obedient lives. And we do that by trusting God's word, living in obedience to it, and being transformed day by day into the likeness of Jesus. To pray, hallowed be your name, is to ask God to glorify himself and be at work in you and in us to that end. So, is this our great and one desire? The third petition in the prayer is for his kingdom to come. Now, what is God's kingdom? Well, simply put, it is wherever God is king. When we think of the kingdom of God, we usually think of the about the future, the, the future new heavens and the new earth. And so usually this prayer, this part of the prayer is often seen as referring to uh, asking God to bring that about, to speed on the return of Jesus so that his kingdom might come. But God's kingdom is also about relationships. God's kingdom is present when God's people enthrone Jesus as Lord of their lives. And so when you pray, and when we pray your kingdom come, it's also to ask God to become king over every part of our lives, to make him the priority, to make him Lord over every aspect of who we are. And that's a personal challenge. When we pray your kingdom come, we are essentially saying, and start with me. Make me your fully obedient subject. Show us our place among the workers of your kingdom. Jesus started off this discipleship series in chapter 9 by calling us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. To pray your kingdom come is to ask Jesus to help us to do that, to adopt God's agenda for our lives and to throw away our own. We will commit ourselves to God's will 
for every aspect of our lives. And this is not going to be easy. To ask God for God's kingdom to come is to deny our kingdom desires. It's to deny the desire to build up our own kingdom. Do we have what it takes to do this? The fourth petition is for daily bread. Literally, the phrase reads, our bread daily give us each day. Give us today our bread for today. You can hear the emphasis on the word daily. Today, this part of the prayer expresses our need and dependence on God to provide for what we need each day. Now, this is probably one of the hardest parts of this prayer, I think, for us who live in the 21st century. I think it's really hard for us to take this seriously because when you look over at your fridge, you know that it is fully stocked. When you know in the pantry it is overflowing with items that are probably many of which have gone past their best before date. The prayer for daily bread is meant to remind us of Israel in the wilderness. As they were journeying through and each day they, had, they were provided with manna in the desert. Remember they were, this, they were told to, to pick up this manna every single day. And this daily miracle showed God's people that they had to trust God constantly for everything. One of the early church fathers, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, put it like this. We are commanded to seek what is necessary for the preservation of the bodily existence by saying to God, give bread, not luxury, nor wealth, nor beautiful purple robes, nor ornaments of gold, nor anything else by which the soul might be drawn away from its divine and worthier care, but bread. Bread is, in this prayer, includes everything necessary for the body, right? It includes clothing and shelter. It covers health and having a job and the strength to be able to get to work and earn your daily bread. Whatever we truly need, God invites us to bring our requests to him. But there's also another dimension to this request. See, Moses knew that this wasn't quite enough. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he reminded Israel that man does not live by bread alone. And that's something that Jesus himself picks up on when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. When he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Daily bread is as much about spiritual nourishment as it is about physical nourishment. So when you pray, give us each day our daily bread, you're asking God to help fill you with his word. You need food every day to live. That's true. You need the Bible every day as well. Otherwise, you will shrivel up and die. So today, are you trusting God for your needs? Are you digging into his word daily to receive the answer to his prayers? The fifth petition in this prayer is for forgiveness. Now, it's got two parts to it. The first part is for forgiveness from God. Forgive, our, forgive us our sins. Now, this prayer is not talking about our initial salvation, but about continual confession of sin. Yes, we are God's children. Yes, he is our father. But sin still has a way of disrupting our fellowship with God. It's like with me and my children. When my children disobey me, I am still their father. They are still my children. But our relationship has been disrupted. I am mad at them. They are upset with me. 
And so I look forward to that moment of reconciliation. That moment when they come and they say sorry and they seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Right? Hugs from my kids are great. Hugs of reconciliation from my kids are sweeter. The good news of the gospel is that when we sin, we have access to God, our Father, to seek forgiveness. A forgiveness he has already granted to us through the death of his son. So, the first, so this first half of this petition is to ask God to apply it freshly and directly to our daily ongoing sins. Do we realize how much we need continual confession of sin? The second half of the petition is connected to the first. Notice how in verse 4 it begins with a for, right? For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Jesus is here making a very clear link. Your forgiveness from God is dependent on your forgiveness of others. If you refuse to forgive others, then God will not forgive you. And that is a very hard part of this prayer. And it builds on what we learned from last week, to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor is also to forgive them when they have sinned against you. It's worth asking, how is this ever possible for weak and sinful people to do well? How can we keep going in this? The final petition in this prayer asks God to lead us not into temptation. Now, let's be really clear. The Bible clearly does not say, the Bible teaches clearly that God does not tempt anyone. Right? But it does teach us that God in his sovereignty allows temptation in our lives to test us. So this prayer is a prayer that God would keep us away from or pull us out of temptations. So what are temptations? Temptation is a desire to take anything, neutral or sometimes good, usually good, otherwise good, and make it central to your life or the source of your identity, your security, your pleasure. Temptations are usually good things that become twisted to become an ultimate thing. So for example, food is good. I am looking forward to lunch after this service, right? I'm pretty certain I'm going to go to Tuong's because uh, they're apparently closing down soon. So head to Tuong's and get lunch there soon, right? But temptation makes it the source of our joy, pleasure, or your identity. Like every MasterChef contestant, food is always their identity. Justice is good. Temptation takes that good thing and turns it into a personal vendetta or revenge. Sex is good. But temptation takes that and it offers it to you to experience now outside the boundaries that God says is right. Temptation comes before sin. So let me be clear. Temptation is not sin. Being tempted is not a sin in of itself. If you feel tempted, it doesn't mean that you have sinned. Sin is birthed when temptation is embraced. Sin is birthed when temptation is embraced. We are weak. And Jesus lovingly knows it. So this is a crucial prayer to be constantly prayed. But then again, as with a few of these other parts of the prayer, it begs the question, 
How do we have the energy and the ability to keep avoiding temptation and not giving in to sin all the time? How is that even possible? We'll answer that in a moment. But for now, these four short verses, in, in these short, four short verses, Jesus has given his followers a kind of wonderful model of prayer. A prayer of devotion, of dependence, and, and prayer that recognizes the danger we are in. In each part, we need God's help to get us through. Now, in the second half of the passage, Jesus gives his disciples three reasons why they should not only pray, but pray with confidence. So in verses 5 and 8, 5 to 8, Jesus gives a very small parable. Right? He, he talks about a man. Let's call him John for the sake of knowing who's who. All right? John has some important guests arriving very late at night, and it's completely embarrassing to John that he has no food in his cupboard. He cannot serve them anything. So the only option is to head next door to Andrew's house and ask to borrow some food for his guests. But the other problem is that it's midnight, right? Andrew's household is all fast asleep. And the moment that John knocks on the door, everyone in Andrew's house is going to wake up. He's going to wake up little Elias and he's going to wake up Ella. And if Ella wakes up, nobody goes back to sleep for the rest of the night. But John does it anyway. Jesus says in verse 8, that because of John's impudence, Andrew answers his request. Now, the key word there in verse 8 is the word impudence. If you've got your ESV there, your English Standard Version, you notice there's a little footnote that says, or persistence, and I think that's wrong. I don't think this is a, a, a parable about persistent prayer. There's a parable about that in chapter 18. Here, the word is impudence, which means shameless boldness to act without any sense of shame or disgrace, to act in a very non-Asian kind of way. See, the parallel that Jesus is making is between John, the knocker, and the person praying. Jesus is not saying that God is like Andrew, the neighbor inside the house, who is finally so annoyed and bothered that he reluctantly gets up to give what is asked. The point of the parable is to encourage disciples to be bold and shameless when we pray. You should not be timid in your prayers. Do not drop hints with God. Be bold. Be shameless in terms of asking. Be straightforward with your requests, no matter how embarrassing you think it might be to speak to God about it. God can handle it, and he delights to engage with it. So pray boldly and pray with continual confidence. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus gives two encouragements for prayer. Number one, keep praying continuously. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But the emphasis in these words is on the continual present of asking, seeking, and knocking. Keep at it. Because number two, when you ask, seek, and knock, you can definitely expect an answer. You see that there in verse 10, Jesus says that you can expect a guaranteed answer. It will be given, you will find, and it will be open to you. Knowing that God hears and definitely answers should lead us to confident and continual praying. Years ago, I did a short-term mission trip to Japan. And as I headed home, one of the team members stayed, stayed on. He caught up with one of his Japanese friends. They went hiking. And as they, were, as they were hiking, going along one of the, the, the footpaths, they stopped at a little shrine. 
And my friend, my missionary friend, noticed his friend pausing for a moment, stopping, bowing his head, and praying. Now my missionary friend knows that this man is not a Christian. So my missionary friend Brad says to his friend, "When you pray, do you expect an answer?" And his friend said, "No." More like wishful thinking. And so Brad went, "Oh, okay." And so he closed his eyes and he prayed. And then his friend asked him, "When you pray, do you expect an answer?" And he said, "Yes." And I gave him a wonderful opportunity to talk about Jesus and the Gospels. Do you pray with that sort of confidence, knowing that God will answer? God is inviting you to come to Him constantly, continually, expectantly. You can come to Him shamelessly with your requests, and you can be confident that your Father in heaven will answer. But what is it that you're asking, seeking, and knocking for? Have you ever gone to these verses and gone, "Oh, what am I meant to be asking, seeking, and knocking for?" Well, the answer to that is actually found in the Lord's prayer itself. You are asking our Father to hallow His name. We're seeking for His kingdom to come. We're asking for daily bread. We're seeking forgiveness as we seek to forgive others, and we're knocking on the door to His throne room for help against temptation. All of these prayers that God delights to answer. But now another question. What is his answer? What is it that we will receive? What is it that we will find? What is it that will be open to us? And the answer to that question is in verses eleven to thirteen. We will receive and find and have open to us the good gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus ends in our passage by giving us a massive assurance to our prayers. You know that Christmas is just around the corner. Crazy how this year has gone.、Uh, yesterday, I asked my kids, "Hey guys, what do you want for Christmas?" My my wife Steph went, "What? What are you going to do? Buy them all?" And so all 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 the kids, all of them in one unison, said Pokemon stuff.、Um, I can't promise my kids that I will actually get them everything they want. Sorry, kids, you'll just have to wait till Christmas to find out what you're going to get. So I can't promise them that, but I do know what I'm not going to do. Right? This is not going to happen. Christmas Day comes along. The presents are under the tree. They run in. They go, Ah, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Mummy. And Jaden unwraps his present, and there's a venomous snake. Right? And then Ellie opens her present, and then a scorpion comes out and goes, Pitch! Right? That is not going to happen. You were disappointed. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> right? No father would do that. Sure, there are evil men out there. But that's the point. Still stands. No father would, no ordinary father would be so cruel. Now, in saying this, when Jesus says this, he's making a lesser to a, to the greater argument. If earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, then how much more will our heavenly Father give good gifts to His children? Jesus calls fathers evil. Well, that's a full-on way to describe how every father is sinful and falls spectacularly short of the perfection and goodness of God. And then at the end, Jesus drops what God gifts to His children in answer to their prayers, in answer to what they ask, in answer to what they're seeking, in answer to their knocking. God gives His children the Holy Spirit. 
Now, this isn't a tack-on at the end. I think it's the key that makes sense of all that Jesus is saying about prayer today. All that God has promised. The gift of the Spirit answers all the questions raised as we were raising them, as we were walking through the disciples' prayer. That is so reassuring because Jesus is not calling us to do something in our own power. We are weak people. You know that if, you, if it was just left to you, you would just not pray at all. Or you would spend all your time just praying for little things that you want. But Jesus has promised his Holy Spirit would be sent to his disciples after his resurrection and ascension. So here is the gospel guarantee for our prayers. Here is the guarantee that God will answer each request of the Lord's prayer and each continuous confident and bold prayer. The Holy Spirit is God's answer to what we seek, knock, and ask for. So walk through the, prayer, the Lord's Prayer again. And notice that it's the Spirit that adopts us as children of God. What a wonderful thing that Paul has given that word to us in Romans 8. That we, with the Spirit, are now children of God and can cry out to God as Abba, Father. What a wonder it is that on days where you struggle to pray or you yearn to pray but you don't know what to say, the Spirit is there interceding on your behalf because you are His child. The Spirit helps us to live holy lives and transforms us. This brings glory to God and increases the holiness and the hallowing of His name. As we live Spirit-empowered, transformed lives, it also brings God's kingdom in one step at a time. The Spirit is what takes God's Word and freshly applies it to us every single day. The Spirit is, what, uh, is, is the one who not only applies the forgiveness of the cross to our lives, but also works that miracle, the astounding miracle of us being able to forgive other people. Make no mistake, it is a miracle that we are able to forgive each other. And the Spirit is the one who empowers us to say no to temptation and sin. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, all of those requests are made possible by the Spirit. When you ask, when you seek, when you knock, the answer to those prayers is the Holy Spirit. Remember, you're asking, seeking, and knocking through the Lord's Prayer, and God answers with His Spirit. And we can pray with assurance because God will never fail to give his children the good gift of the Spirit to answer their requests. In this, in this prayer, in this passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the confidence of being able to approach God as their heavenly father. The confidence of a child to pray gospel-shaped and kingdom-focused prayers with continual confidence and assurance. From about the start, I said, I promised you a form of prayer which God, would always, which God would always be guaranteed to answer. And these kinds of prayers that we've looked at are guaranteed by none other than Jesus himself. His death and resurrection guarantee what Jesus is promising to us here. Friends, if you're here today or if you're listening to us online and you're not sure that you're a Christian... If you don't have that assurance that you're a believer, then let me invite you to find out more about him. What Jesus is offering here in this prayer is astounding. To know the God who created everything, who created you as your heavenly father. 
to know God intimately and personally, to know him as a father who gives good things to his beloved children and who has given his most precious gift, his son in your place, so that you might be forgiven of all of your shame and sin and rebellion and then to be reconciled to him as your heavenly father. If you want that, if you want to know more, then let me invite you to to drop me a message, speak with me, speak with Pastor Ben or a friend who brought you to church today. Find out more about who Jesus is and what he is offering because it is worth the time spent finding out more. And for Christians here today, I think there are two things to consider as we reflect. First, let me briefly talk about bad prayers. Let me briefly address bad prayers. And in particular, I want to briefly look at those prayers which are shaped by the prosperity gospel. There is a brand of Christianity, which I think is a counterfeit brand, which teaches something called name it and claim it. That God will answer your prayers if you consistently and faithfully claim things, no matter what it is that you want. Right? If you have enough faith and you claim it in God's name, then God will give it to you. This is completely at odds and the opposite of the prayer that Jesus is teaching us here. The, the prayer that Jesus is teaching us here is shaped by the gospel. It is shaped by God's plans and purposes. If you have been taught to name it and claim it, then I need to tell you that is a very wrong way to pray. James, the brother of Jesus, warned his own readers of this same problem. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Uh, James, James was writing to a church which was praying and receiving no answer because their prayers were self-centered. Friends, the name it and claim it form of prayer promotes, inevitably promotes self-centered prayer. But what Jesus is giving his disciples is radically different. Prayers where God sets the agenda and prayers which are always answered positively by God. Which brings me to my second application for Christians today. Are your prayers shaped by the gospel? Are they centered on God's agenda or are they driven by your own? Now, I'm not sure many of us are used to thinking about our prayers in this way. I think most of us have just grown up saying, being taught that you can bring anything before God, and that's true. But the prayer that Jesus has given his disciples can help us reshape our prayers in a way that honors God, that seeks his agenda, and in a way where we can expect a positive answer. So how do we do this? Well, we take our prayer requests there in the middle, and we work out ways to pray through it according to the elements of the Lord's Prayer. So you have a think about what we need, and we use the Lord's Prayer to pray through that need in a gospel-shaped, kingdom-focused way. So let me give a worked example. Let me, one worked example uh, for workers and students, all right? Working life and student life with exams. So lots of students here going through exams at the moment or have just finished or are completing essays that are due in soon. So usually our prayer in this time is, dear Lord, help me to study hard and please help me to do well, which isn't necessarily a bad thing to pray. And for the workers here, we know that something is, work is something that we, all of us experience. It dominates a fair amount of our lives, rightly so. And there is always plenty of prayer requests floating around to do with our work. So how, let's take these prayer requests and filter them through the Lord's Prayer uh, 
and see how we can reshape those prayers to be more God's agenda driven. Now, this is not ex- an exhaustive thought process. Okay? I'm just going to give some examples and some ideas. I think there are many ways to think through this, but here are some ideas to get us thinking. First, let's think about the fatherhood of God. Remember, the fatherhood of God, God as your heavenly father, means a radically new identity. The marks a student gets can be a source of identity and security as well, especially if you're aiming for big marks or you're trying to maintain a certain GPA or score. Work is also a source of identity for many of us, and if we're not careful or thoughtful, it becomes the sole identity. So the fatherhood of God helps us pray that our identity is not only secure in Jesus, and not only would it be secure in Jesus, but we can also pray that God would help us to be content with that. Second, holiness. God's holiness is magnified through our own personal holiness. God's kingdom work in this world begins with his kingdom work in us. And so we can pray that in the stress of exams, our personal holiness would not diminish. We can pray that when work gets full on and busy, that we would not neglect to live for God's kingdom and not for this earthly kingdom, not for our earthly kingdom. When it comes to daily bread, yes, we can keep praying God would provide all of our physical needs. We can also pray that students and workers don't neglect the Bible and fellowship during times of high stress and times of busyness. Assignments and essays and work projects, they're always going to be there. So we can pray that they would not, we would not form a habit of neglecting the daily, our daily bread in these times. You're praying for forgiveness. Maybe there's a bit of exam stress or work stress flaring up at home. Maybe there's actually something that we need to confess. Rather than just praying for good marks, maybe we need to confess that we haven't been as loving with family members at home because we've been busy with our own priorities. Maybe there's something to, in need of repenting of because we failed to put God first. Temptation. Right? Work and study constantly present the temptation to pursue idolatry. Uh, Not only to wrap our identity around our achievements, but also to keep pursuing excellence at any expense. So, there's one worked example for students and workers to work out how our prayer needs can be shaped by the Lord's Prayer. And we can do this with all sorts of our other prayer needs, whether it be for this or that, for our children, our grandchildren, for our work, our colleagues, for our missions, for our evangelism. See, the more we reshape our prayers around God's agenda and not our own, the more gospel-centered and kingdom-focused they are, the more we will readily see God's answer to these prayers. So friends, pray confidently. Pray boldly. Pray continuously. Pray with the assurance that our Heavenly Father hears and is answering in His own good way. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, our glorious, loving, kind, and good Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer. We thank you that your Son has given us this prayer. We thank you that we can come before you boldly, shamelessly, bringing our requests before you, knowing that you will answer us, your sons and daughters. Help us to pray continually, to shape our prayers and our lives around your agenda, 
to be gospel-centered, kingdom-shaped people. Father, do this work within us for your glory and our ongoing joy together. For we pray this in the name of our elder brother Jesus. Amen.